You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle, and it is a pleasure having you here today on the program. And I am joined today by one of my very good friends, somebody that I've known uh, for at least a decade as I've been involved in Indiana politics as, and as he has been involved in Indiana politics. It is Mr. Mark Rutherford. Mark, how are you today? I'm doing great. Chris, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Now, you are running for Indiana Secretary of State. Uh, and th- explain what that office does. Yeah, the Indiana Secretary of State is a constitutional office, and it basically is the chief administrator of a lot of things with state government. It's required by the Constitution of Indiana, and basically its really function is to deal with administration of business needs, uh, uniform commercial code. I know that's a mouthful, but that's very, <laughs> very important for people who are lending money and borrowing money, that there are accurate records. Uh, the Indiana Elections Division, Secretary of State's the chief election officer of the whole state, making sure that elections are done well and can be trusted and, and people can trust in the elections. Uh, the campaign finance is uh, under the uh, Secretary of State's uh, bailiwick. Um, and uh, uh, securities division. A lot of people know about the Federal Securities Division, SEC is what it's called, Securities Exchange Commission. But Indiana has something comparable in There's a lot of things the Secretary of State can do through that that is not being done to help protect uh, uh, people from con artists, especially the elderly. And you get a lot of complaints from small and medium-sized counties that more needs to be done uh, to make sure that something's done about the con artists that are out there. So in the 20 years that I followed Indiana politics, I would say that you are, in all of the politicians that I've seen, one of the most qualified people to run for your office and certainly the most qualified libertarian candidate that I've seen in the decade uh, since I've been involved in libertarian politics. And when you break down the different offices of the Secretary of State, you have a lot of experiences that fit each one of those unique qualities and have shown leadership in each one of those different areas. So let's start with the small business portion of the Secretary of State's office. What, What qualities and what in your background is what qualities in your background has prepared you to be Secretary of State? Oh, there's a, a lot there. And I'm, I'm, and the reason I talk about it is it's a perfect fit for me based on what I've done in my uh, career and my experiences. I'll start from the very first thing. I am a small business owner. I am a shareholder in my law firm. So I experience what small business people experience every day. Which is the taxes and taxes and administration yeah. regulations and dealing with that and trying to run a business and deal with employees and serve your clients and shoot it's, it, it, you're you feel like sometimes you have to serve government and it's like for what reason a lot of the reasons you scratch your head it's just like make work right and it or it has no valid safety reason you're going why do I have to do this it's wasting time from helping my clients I don't I don't like that and most small business owners have the same feelings as I do. I also represent a lot of small business owners. My uh, practice is representing small business owners, entrepreneurs. Uh, I do some election law, um, but I, it's all sur- surrounding businesses. 
And so I see what my small business clients are doing and what they have to deal with. I know their complaints, and I know how it can be done better in Indiana and done better through the Secretary of State's office. Right. So that leads to another key portion is reform. Yes. I mean, that is one thing that the Secretary of State, they they deal with, uh, it seems like a lot of regulations and setting up businesses and obviously the election law. And what are some key components of reforming Indiana government that you'd like to see happen under your watch as Secretary of State? Well, well, there's a lot. It has to be easily accessible, and it has to be something where a business owner can do most of what needs to be done with the Secretary of State, and it shouldn't take more than 10 minutes a year. Mm -hmm. And it should be able to be done online, and you shouldn't have to hire lawyers to figure all this out. One of the chief things that needs to be done is you have to go through every form, and you have to look at the forms from the perspective of the business owner, the people who are, who, who are filling them out, not from the perspective of the Secretary of State or the uh, uh, staff that works with them. Right. One of the big complaints I have is what do we fill out in this space? And sometimes you just scratch your head and it's like, I don't know. Uh, we're guessing here. You have that with uniform commercial code filings. You have that with business filings for corporations, for biennial reports. You have that in election law, campaign finance law, all those things. Auto dealers have to deal with with all the documentation they have to do through the Secretary of State. And a lot of people don't realize that. Bureau of Motor Vehicles is just concerned with driver's licenses, really. And, right. and, and if there are bad drivers keeping uh, dealing with that. Uh, Secretary of State regulates the auto dealers. A lot of people don't realize that. Hmm. And there's, oh my goodness, some of the forms are very, very thick and very, very confusing for auto dealers. So you have to do look at it from a different perspective. One of the things that I will do as Secretary of State is I will convene a, a uh, advisory group, basically a small business advisory group, to advise me on how are the forms working. Right. What can I advocate to the Indiana General Assembly or the go- uh, governor about small business and how government needs to be changed to, to help basically the backbone of our jobs and the backbone of Indiana, uh, somewhere near 45 to 50% of all the jobs in Indiana are with small business. Wow. That's huge. That's an enormous number. That's I didn't a, know that. That's an enormous number. Yeah. I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of small businesses. Uh, a corporation that's large, and I won't name any because most of them are fine. They try to do a nice job. But, you know, the big news is they're hiring a 1,000 people. The bigger news is that community has four or 5,000 small business owners. We're not being heard. We're being ignored. We don't make the paper because we're hiring all those people. Yeah. It's all little separate things. And Government needs to change. So I would have a small business advisory council of consumers, small business owners, vendors uh, to advise me on how things are going with small business and what needs to change. So you're a small business owner. Yes. And you are a lawyer that represents small business owners. And so you understand what small business owners go through. Yes. You empathize with them. You are a lawyer, so you understand legal procedure and the reformation process. And that leads to the third really important part of the Secretary of State's functions, which is elections. Yes. And the the form part that you were speaking of, just as a former uh-huh. as a former political hack, that that just is music to my ears because it was always so confusing. Because most candidates in Indiana are not like House of Cards type figures. Right. They're regular people involved in their community, and they want to get involved. And some of these forms and the process can be very difficult. The entire process for running for elections is difficult. 
the entire system is set up to favor power interests, essentially. It favors incumbents. Let's be blunt about it. Exactly right. And so you being a third-party member, you bring a lot of experience in those those other two areas, but being from a third party, uh, how do you think that will help you in managing the election division and all the election of uh, the electoral processes of the secretary of state's office well it, it, it's a big help because i'm looking at it from a different perspective i'm looking at perspective of not what favors the democrats or republicans it's what is needed how a, just a normal person can go in and do this right um we see how it's clearly designed for the republicans and democrats and we have questions and it just doesn't really work for us sometimes um so that, that's a really important thing. The other thing is I've been working with these forms for 20 years. Yeah. I have a, a very good idea of what they are, and I've scratched my head uh, quite a, a few times on uh, for clients and for political candidates I'm working with uh, or for party organizations I'm working with about why, why this? What does this mean? Uh, this is stupid. I mean, we, there's a lot of that. Like, this is really not accurate, but the state law requires it. That's really weird. And there's a right. lot of that in, in, in the finance forms. Let me tell you a little story, though, that kind of sums up the problem with with campaign finance laws and with uh, election laws when it comes to filing forms with the Secretary of State. I've been to many Indiana Election Commission hearings. A lot of them, uh, most of them were when I was uh, chairman of the Libertarian Party of Indiana. And I was there, and uh, people who work with that know that people who don't fill out the forms right or they file them a little late, uh, they have to go before the Indiana Election Commission, and they're saying, why did you file it late? Um, and this one gentleman went up there. He had run for a state legislature, probably Indiana House. Uh, didn't really understand what he was getting into in the process. And he got fined for filing his campaign finance forms late. And he went up, gave his excuse, which was valid and didn't really understand it. As soon as he realized his mistake, he filed it. And the uh, Indiana Election Commission, as it often does with people with no prior problems or sporadic but unusual, not usual problems, uh, the fine that they had sent to him and said he needs to pay, they agreed to reduce it substantially. Right. But it still was for somebody who's working nine to five and uh, is an establishment somewhere, uh, it was still a pretty hefty fine. Yeah, so we believe in the rule of law. Obviously, you have to follow the rule of law. How would you help that average candidate out there who's independent-minded and is working hard to make a change in their community? Well, here's how you do that. And how you do that is one of the big things is that everything that you get from the Indiana Election Commission, all the pamphlets and all the books, etc., which I consider are, are fairly well done, Yeah, but they have big disclaimers saying, you can't, this doesn't bind us. You have to hire <laughs> your own attorney. Right. To figure out what the law is. This is just a, a kind of a guide on where you find the law. And it's like, wait a minute. So we have to guess. Right. And then if we guess wrong, you get to fine us. Right. I mean, that's really what it's saying. Right. And that's just wrong. Uh, I'm a big believer that if the IRS tells you to do something over the phone and it's recorded, I can use that recording to say, IRS, you're stuck with that. That actually is how it works in business law hmm. if you have lawsuits generally. If I tell you that you do it this way and it's wrong on the contract, I probably am stuck. I probably modified the contract and misled you. Hmm. And so it's only fair that 
I'm stuck with how I misled you. So you're trying to hold lawyers accountable. That's yes. what you're saying. All right, that's reason enough for most people to vote right. for you. <laughs> so, and, and I'm not going after the lawyers in the Indiana Election Division. Yeah, they're, they're, they're good people. Yeah, and they they try to be very helpful, as right. you know. Absolutely. They were so mm-hmm. helpful to me. And yeah, they, they did their best to make a, a rough situation uh, function. Yes. But it's the mindset that's out there. And it, it really goes to the Indiana General Assembly for creating that mindset where it's like, you know, you can't trust government on what we say. Yeah. And, and, and the people you work with, you want to trust, but you can't rely on it. And you have to have a lawyer guess on it. That's a big change that needs to be, to be done on that. But the fines need to be reduced. Um, minor being late, I'm a big proponent of, you do a lot of reminders and you don't find people uh, until it, it's because they just don't want to and they got in a process and they don't care. Right. If they care... You know, let's work it out. Let's figure it out. That needs to be the mindset. It's not it, uh, the rule of law is important, but uh, absurdity is even worse than the rule of law. Obviously, being a member of the executive branch of the state government, mm-hmm. you don't have legislative power necessarily. But as the only independent voice in the executive branch, from from a I don't know, is it a cabinet position or... Not, no, it's a state office. Okay, it's required so by the Indiana Constitution. As the only state officer who would not be one of the major two parties, you'd have a very powerful voice. What are, oh. some, what are some things that you do uh, in terms of electoral reform that you'd advocate for to bring back some balance to regular people versus you know, Republicans and Democrats? Oh, that's a huge subject. But I'm going to go to the thing that's really the most important thing that needs to be done with electoral reform. Not the only thing, but the most important thing, and that's gerrymandering. Right now, if you look at the Indiana legislative districts, um, it's clear that they are designed for the politicians and it's not designed for the voters. Yeah. You're going over geographic lines, community lines, et cetera, that have nothing to do with the interests of the group. Um, you split cities into small air counties, and the, you have a rural population, which, of course, they look at life a little differently, have different needs, and you stick them with uh, a part of a big city that's nearby. Uh, that's a, a ridiculous t- type of a district, for example. A, for, a former Secretary of State actually used AI 10 years ago to try yes. and redraw the lines and was punished by his party for it. Yes, that's correct. Uh, and and it is. It's, it's a weird thing that Republicans and Democrats can go back and draw the rules up and draw yes. their districts and separate neighborhoods to protect their own interests. Uh, and I think as the de facto head of the election division, I think you could bring a real voice of independence to that process. Right, I would. And I, I represent voters and taxpayers, but uh, often the same, of course. Yeah. And uh, that that's who I represent. I don't represent a political party. One of the nice things about the political party I associate with is we're very decentralized and we understand sometimes we disagree with each other. <laughs> um, and that's okay. Um, and it's a good thing sometimes. Yeah. And we're not beholden to parties. So we're beholden to what the taxpayers and voters uh, are concerned about. That's really how we'll, we approach being in office. So I want to go through some of your background because I, yes. now that we've kind of talked about some of the issues and, and some of your experience, I want to talk more about your experience. I want to talk about some of the various uh Commissions. I mean, you, you've had a very uh, active political and professional career, but let's go back to the beginning. Lil Mark Rutherford. Okay. Where, where was he born? Where did he grow mm-hmm. up? And, and where, where are some places in Indiana that you've lived? Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's all Indiana-focused. Um, and I was born in New Albany, Indiana. 
And my parents lived in Clarksville, Indiana, which is nearby. So I started oh. off in Clarksville, Indiana. Which is south. That's... It's just a little bit south of the, the hospital southeast. It's right on the Ohio River. where you can right Now you can see the Louisville skyline from where uh, I spent about the first year, year and a half of my life. Okay. And then where'd you go from there? Uh, we then went to Columbus, Indiana. And I was in Columbus, Indiana until the mi- middle of seventh grade. Okay. So spent, you know, 10 Eleven years there, quite quite a bit of time. What did your What did your parents do? I mean, what... um, oh, good question. Um, my father uh, worked in the newspaper business. Uh, he worked for the Columbus Republic. Before that, he worked for the, one of the New Albany newspapers. And um, my mother uh, would do substitute teaching. She had taught before I was born, and she did. She continued with substitute teaching in Columbus, Indiana. Two of the nicest people I've ever met. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, they are very, very, they're great, aren't they? Very sweet. Yes. Uh, and so in Columbus, seventh grade, where'd you go after that? Uh, we went to Carmel, Indiana. Okay. So, and uh, that was Indianapolis, north side. It was a growing suburban area. At the time we went there, it was really, it had grown a lot, but it was still a very, very small community. And it really became a suburb right. of Indianapolis while I was in junior high and high school. Okay, so you, did you go to Carmel High School? Went to Carmel High School, graduated in 1978. It's been 40 years. 40th reunion is coming <laughs> up, which is amazing. Yeah. Yes. And and uh, probably terrifying, too. Uh, I'm, I'm barreling down <laughs> on my 20th. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so where'd you go to college at? I went to Wabash College in Crawfordsville. And you see a consistency there. An awful lot of C's uh, where <laughs> I first lived. Clarksville, Columbus, uh Carmel and Crawfordsville. We asked the DePaul graduates not to hold Wabash against you, though. Oh, I know, and I appreciate that, yes. I'll <laughs> so, be a good Secretary of State for them, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, did you, what did you graduate with? What was your degree in? Uh, my degree was in history, almost uh, majored in philosophy, too. Uh, oh. one, one credit short, we had a conflict my senior year on a required class for both majors, and I had to pick one over the other. Okay, smarty pants. So after you graduate with uh, a history, almost philosophy degree, uh-huh. where do you go to, what's your next step in your education? Well, the, the next step uh, is um, uh, I wanted to go to law school and uh, got accepted to Valparaiso Law School. I went okay. there. It was a small uh, private uh, liberal artsy law school, which I liked. I had been recommended it uh, by many uh, Wabash people who were there that this would be a good fit. Okay, so you've lived all over the state. I have lived all over the state. Yeah. Came back to Indianapolis is where I lived. Uh, uh, have now live in Carmel. Right. Uh, but still work in Indianapolis. So Right downtown, I, too. Right downtown. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I've been all, all over the state. Uh, and, and it's more than that. I'm, um, my family uh, came from Orange County and Washington County. Uh, cities, the uh, county seats there uh, in Orange is Paoli. Mm-hmm. And in Washington County, it's Salem. And my mother still owns and um, makes sure it's farmed and still farms uh, with, with help from it's really weird. The, the the man and son who farm it uh, uh, were just little tykes when my grandfather was farming it. But it's really fun about to see the continue that it continues and it continue. Uh, yeah, it's it's that. it's kind of cool that you you know you have that still have that connection. You know, mm-hmm. did you grow up on the farm? Was it was it just, just did not next? grow up? And my mother okay. did. My father grew up on a farm as well. Have that connection to agrarian Indiana, and then now look at you. You're in uh, the big city now. Uh, I'm the second youngest of my generation of my mother's and father's family, but uh, a lot of the my cousins uh, own and still farm, even though they're uh, in their seventies. Okay. 
So you graduate from Valpo, and then give us just the cliff notes on some of your career highlights and and where how you ended up where you're at now. Okay, well, went to Valparaiso, had the law degree, and um, was interested in litigation. And the criminal law always interested me as well. And so ended up starting my first job as a deputy prosecutor in hmm. Marion County. And it was an interesting experience, did it for three years, and then had an opportunity to move to a private firm that uh, very much into uh, uh, business law with an emphasis on bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. It was a great place to kind of cut your teeth on the business law and bankruptcy law, and a lot of good attorneys there that I was under for three years. Uh, And then had an opportunity to start my own firm and did so. And so I've been in a firm that I've owned or been a part owner of since 1993. Okay. So what attracted you to your profession? Um, well, that's a good question. And uh, my mother showed this to me the, uh, a couple years ago. She found from Sunday school, eighth grade <laughs> Sunday school, uh, there was a question. And it said, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I wrote down lawyer. Huh. Now, I have no recollection of doing that. Um, I have a recollection of going to Sunday school, but I don't right. have that specific one on there. But it, it seemed like an obvious choice. My father was involved in the um, newspaper business. Uh, I spent a lot of time at, uh, I thought it was just normal to go to a fundraiser and have bad chicken <laughs> dinners. And I thought that was just what every kid was doing. You know, uh, He would cover them. Uh, for a year, he took off from the newspaper business and ran press for a congressional candidate in southern Indiana. So I was exposed to the politics then. And uh, what do you see around a, a lot of politics? You see a lot of lawyers. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, lawyers are very familiar with how government works. You have to be, uh, very few areas of law does not require some knowledge of how to deal with government. So it was very, very uh, logical for me to, to go into the law, having seen lots of lawyers and being around a lot of them. And uh, it's very interesting what lawyers do. Yeah. So is that how you got interested in politics? Uh, politics was I grew up in it. Um, okay. Uh, some of my earliest memories, uh, uh, probably two, three years old, are literally being at political events, following my father to a political event, and and he would cover it, and I'd be with my mother and sister, and we'd hang out somewhere, but it was politics all around us, and I, I got to meet an awful lot of people. So I don't want to ask you how you became a libertarian, okay? Because okay. I, don't, I don't know that most people understand that experience, obviously. Uh, but I want to ask why you chose not to participate in the Republican or Democratic parties and become, you know, some become a libertarian and run more independent. Because if you're interested in politics and want to run for politics, I think most people look at it and go, well, why wouldn't you run for the for the other two? What what about the Republicans and Democrats turned you off? And what was your like eureka moment that you were going to do something different? Well, I've known about the Libertarian Party since about the time it was founded. My dad wrote a political column for the Indianapolis News, and uh, its emphasis was on things not being reported elsewhere. So Hmm. the formation of the Libertarian Party, he was reporting on it uh, way back then. And so I was hearing about things like that and about what it was about. Um, In 1980, the presidential candidate was well-funded. The vice presidential candidate was a millionaire, so there was a lot of money, and they made a big lot of hay, and a lot of national publicity on it. So I, I, I was hearing about it. Uh, college, uh, I had a excellent philosophy professors who, they believed in teaching you about every type of philosophy. 
So I was reading about some of the uh, new uh, writers who are writing about libertarianism as well. They, they, they gave me all types of stuff. So I was reading about all types of political philosophy, also in my poli-sci cl- political science classes as well. So I was seeing that. And so um, I, I started working as a deputy prosecutor, having been involved seeing politics. My parents, uh, my, my father worked for a, a candidate, seeing what that life was all about. And um, my family, if you go back generations, basically has what are now considered libertarian beliefs. Mm. I think a lot of Indiana does. A lot of Indiana does. I think, I think it's, a, it's a very libertarian, independent type. I mean, that independent streak within the state, I think, is very strong and prevalent. Yes, it is. It really is. And so um, being involved in the uh, – I'll admit the past. Uh, I was involved uh, in the Republican Party to an extent uh, when I was a deputy prosecutor and got a little bit more involved uh, when I was in private practice at first. And – you know, you sometimes just have to look in the mirror and go, I think I can accomplish more outside the Republican Party hmm. or the Democrat Party. Right. Because they're old, and just like old corporations, they don't reinvent themselves, they can get stale and stagnant. And I just thought that it would be best that I could do more change in the long run through the Libertarian Party. Sure, maybe I could have done something with the Republican or Democrat parties, maybe be in elected office now. But I've got to tell you, being appointed by a Republican governor as a non-Republican to the Indiana Public Defender Commission, just months later being elected chair of that group, it's amazing what I've been able to do and influence through having that seat at the table and the leadership position on the table to make the public defender system far better in Indiana, protect individual rights. And I'm proud to say that we've helped in the long run It saves money for the taxpayers overall. And um, we're looking at statistics that are coming out there that suggest that those counties that participate in the Indiana Public Defender Commission, which is voluntary, Mm -hmm. is a reimbursement program. The General Assembly gives us money to give out to counties that agree to abide by our standards. And our standards are lower caseloads, better pay, support staff for the attorneys. Um, The number of repeat offenders seem to be going down in the counties that have this program. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it has so many benefits, and it's things that I've pushed or I've made coalitions with people who aren't libertarian. They're Republicans and Democrats. They're legislators. Indiana Senate has two people on it. Indiana House has two people on it. Three judges appointed by the Supreme Court. Three people appointed by the governor. One person appointed by Indiana Criminal Justice Institute. We all have, we're all over the place on where we think justice should be. But it's fun and effective to get everybody together and what you have in common and to change things for the better. So you're you're an well not a, you're a, an appointed libertarian, yes. mm-hmm. head of a state government commission, yes, and you've been reappointed, haven't you? I've been reappointed, okay, several times. So you were so effective at doing that job that you were reappointed multiple. You were appointed multiple times. That's yes. really really I think an an important point because I think people. Uh, a need to understand your experience with leadership and and leading government agencies or entities like this, um, and also showing that you're. I think that's really a, a point that I want to hit. What are some other leadership positions that you've held in politics or or professionally? Well, 
I have been involved in leadership positions for a very long time. I'm an Eagle Scout, 1976. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a photo on your Instagram yes, of that. that yeah. Exactly, exactly. And you you learn there how to be a leader. And if you're a natural leader, by natural I mean you have the ability to learn and to implement and to lead people and get people to do you never get people to do what they don't want to do, but sometimes you have to get people to realize that they do want to do it. That's not a snarky way to put it. Um, it, it it's, it's really what you have to do is to show the light. Sometimes you have right. to do it yourself, and then people go, oh, that's not so bad. Yeah. And then they'll do it with you. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, patrol leader, senior patrol leader of the whole troop, uh, those are things that you learn how to be. That I was, I was already on the national stage by the time I was in high school, <laughs> with national positions as a youth leader in the Boy Scouts. That's cool. And it was very cool, and it was very eye opening. And uh, uh, then in college, uh, I'm a leader on campus. Uh, there were clubs and organizations on campus where I was an officer, um, officer of my fraternity, for example. Same thing in law school. Um, where I was a, a leader of my, uh, uh, actually the president of my legal law fraternity in law school. So I have that consistent basis of being a leader, helping people to go where everybody wants to go, making things better, getting things done. Um, after that, uh, uh, I'm back in Indianapolis as a lawyer. Uh, I have served as uh, president of the uh, Police Athletic League of Indianapolis. Oh, that's cool. That was a very cool thing. I've been president of the National Junior Tennis League of Indianapolis, president of the Central Indiana um, Tennis Association of Indianapolis, uh, just lots of things like that, president of a country club. Um, all those are things where you have to get involved, have to do things, show leadership, make things better, and help people to, to make things better. Uh, very active in my fraternity. Uh, uh, have been head of the alumni association of the local Wabash College Lambda Chi's. I'm right now serving as the campaign chair of uh, our capital campaign, hmm. and uh, that's very fun and exciting for the and fraternity. It's for the fraternity. Uh huh. Yeah, I've known you since. I mean, you basically helped recruit me into the Libertarian Party job that I had, and. Uh, you were always instrumental. It was always like, well, we've got a question. Ask Mark. Yes. <laughs> you know, you were a former state chair, and you went on to national leadership in the Libertarian Party I did. as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I do that. I have the political stuff that you're talking about, but let's go to the law part about the leadership. I've been the uh, uh, head of many sections in the Indianapolis Bar Association, the business law section of the Indianapolis Bar Association. Uh, was on. Uh, head of the editorial board for the Indiana State Bar Association, head of the criminal justice section of the Indiana State Bar Association, uh, I, I believe, uh, head of the business law section. Uh, I, I said that of the, Indiana, of the mm -hmm. Indianapolis Bar Association. Uh, was involved on the council of the business law section of the Indiana State Bar Association. Those are things you need to do. The, you, you show leadership, you give back, uh, you're part of the community, and you do what you can do and what you're you're effective at, at at helping things get better, and that's what you have to do in anything you're involved with. How did you get that mentality of public service? Uh, the mentality of public service? Yeah, I mean, who, who instilled oh those goodness. values in you? Oh, I have to say the parents did and my relatives and mm -hmm. everybody who was around and friends. Uh, it seems just natural to me. Is that? I mean, is that a function of growing up in rural Indiana, you know, in the mid 60s, and uh, 70s? I don't want to insult you, but... <laughs> no, no. I mean... Um, it's a function of who you're around and your beliefs and, and what you do. 
uh, I mean, the background, uh, the, a lot of it's probably some of the religious background that's been in my family over the years from different faiths. There's just a lot of reasons for that. Right. All right. Well, uh, tell the people where they can find out more about you. I think this is pretty comprehensive. I mean, I, I mean, is there anything else before we wrap up that you think people ought to know about Mark Rutherford before they go cast a ballot in November? Oh, there's a lot about what I believe in and what, 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 why you should uh, elect me. I mean, it's just very qualified. I've dealt with all these issues that are out there. There's a, I'm very strong on small business. And the attorney general, basically the prior attorney generals have made that into a consumer protection agency. I'm not going to quibble with that. Right. But where's the protection agency for small business? Mm-hmm. Secretary of State's the natural place to do that. Um, and th- that's an important, uh, important thing that needs to be done. Okay. Where can people find out that information and where can they contact you if they have more questions? Yes. On the internet, it's checkmark2018.com. Okay. Just M-A-R-K. Yes. The other way, that's one of them. I kind of like that one. That's, that's very clever. Check, that's very clever. Checkmark2018.com. Let me give you the easier one. Okay. And that's markforindiana.com. That's, yeah. I had to say the checkmark one. It's not it's as fun. Too clever. But Mark for Indiana is easier. <laughs> not as fun. But markforindiana.com. And on Facebook, you can find me at uh, uh, Mark for Indiana. Yeah, you'd think there'd be like another Mark that was for Indiana, but you're the first one. I'm That's the first it. one, I guess. Mark for Indiana, yes. <laughs> Congratulations on getting markforindiana.com. That's a, it's yes. a, a, an achievement there. So, yeah. all right, great. I, Very I, good. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram. Mark for Indiana is the secret to get to all of those things. I bet you're taking campaign donations too, aren't Yes, you? I'm taking campaign donations. There's a donations uh, button on the website. Okay. And it's very, very easy to do. And if people want to volunteer for your campaign, how can they do that? The, you can do it through the uh, through through the website. There's a place to press the button, submit your information, and we'll have people get back in touch with you. All right. Well, hopefully you now see what I, I have seen in Mark and and uh, why I think he's so qualified to be our next Secretary of State here in Indiana. Mark, thank you for joining me. Chris, thank you. All right. Thank you for joining us here on The Chris Spangle Show, and we'll talk to you soon. Good enough? <laughs>